Section 5 of the Roman Empire of the Second Century by William Wolfe Capes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 2 Trajan, AD 97 to 117, Part 4. And now for years Trajan and the world had peace, broken only perhaps by a short campaign against the Parthians to which some questionable evidence of medals and church writers seems to point although secular history is wholly silent on the subject there was enough indeed to occupy his thoughts meantime the cares of office on so vast a scale the oversight of so much ministerial work the grandiose constructions in the capital and throughout italy the plans for future usefulness and charity described already formed labour enough for any single mind there was no fear, therefore, that his powers should rust away from inaction in a time of peace, but there might possibly be dangers of another sort. To this period belong seemingly the rumours of traitorous designs and plots against his life, to which he gave indeed no open credence, but loftily professed his disregard, which may, however, have ruffled the calm even of his resolute nature and sickened him of longer stay at Rome for there was something feverish in the life of the great city the air was charged with thunderclouds which might burst at any moment few of the rulers who had lived before him but had cause to fear the fickle passions of the populace or guards or the jealousy of unscrupulous intriguers once more therefore he resolved on war in part perhaps from the feelings of disquietude at home in part it may be from the overweening sense of absolute power and the restlessness of the great conqueror spurred by his ambition for more glory there was one rival only of historic name the parthian empire of the east and with that it was not hard to pick a quarrel in a d one thirteen its sovereign chosroes had lately claimed to treat armenia as a dependent fief and had set a nephew of his own upon the throne though the romans had long looked upon it as a vassal kingdom and nero as a suzerain had set the crown upon its prince's head no time was lost in resenting the affront and instant war was threatened if the intruder did not withdraw his forces from armenia and leave the new-made monarch to his fate the pretext was caught at the more gladly as on this side only of the empire was the frontier line still undecided and an organized power was left in arms to menace the boundaries of rome once more the note of preparation sounded for the war the arsenals were all astir and the tramp of the advancing legions was heard along the highways of the east before long the emperor himself was on his way to take the field in person with his troops but at athens where he halted for a time he was met by the ambassadors who came to sue for peace and offer presents and beg him in their master's name to accept the homage of another kinsman in place of the one who had already forfeited the kingdom which was given him for the parthians were no longer in the heyday of their national vigour as when they shattered the hosts of crassus on the fatal field of carai or swept almost without a check through western asia and drove marcus antonius back from a fruitless and inglorious campaign three centuries ago they had made themselves a name in history by humbling the dynasty of syria 
the energy of conquest had carried them from their highland homes and sent the thrones of asia toppling down before them till all from the euphrates to the oxus and hydaspes owned their sway but now the tide had spent its force and the great empire was slowly sinking to decay like the turks of later days they had no genius to organize and to create but were at best an aristocracy of warlike clans lording it over subject peoples full of their pride of race and barbarous disdain of all the arts of civilized progress encamped awhile among the great historic cities of the past but only to waste and to destroy the currents of the national life-blood now flowed feebly the family feuds of the arsacidae the ruling line threatened to distract their forces and they could scarcely make good with the sword their right to what the sword alone had won trajan knew possibly something of their weakness or expressed only the self-reliance of his own strong will when he answered the envoys in a haughty strain telling them that friends were secured by deeds and not by fair words and that he would take such action as seemed good when he arrived upon the scene from athens he went forward on his way to the fortress of seleucia the key of syria proud of the memory of its famous siege and of the gift of roman freedom won by its stout defence against tigranes thence he marched to the neighbouring antioch in whose crowded streets the social currents of the east and west were blended the city where the name of christian was first heard but where also the cypress groves of daphne were the haunts of infamous debauchery in religion's name thither came ambassadors to ask for peace the satraps and petty chieftains met him on his way and swore fealty to their lord and master he passed on to the euphrates and no one appeared in arms to bar his road the new arsacid in armenia so lately seated on the throne had sent already more than once to trajan but his first letter was written in lofty style as to a brother king and was therefore left without an answer the second struck a lower note and offered to do homage through the governor of a neighbouring province even this the emperor scarcely deigned to notice would not even for a time displace the official from his post but merely sent the governor's son to bear this answer before long the legions in their march had crossed the confines of armenia the towns by which they passed were occupied without a blow and the princely parthamasiris was summoned to his master's presence in the heart of the country that was lately all his own there on a lofty seat sat trajan on the earthworks raised for the entrenchments of the camp while the legions stood around as on parade the prince bowed low before the throne and laid his diadem before the emperor's feet then waited silently in hope to see it replaced with graceful courtesy upon his head but he hoped and waited all in vain the soldiers who stood near raised a shout of triumph at his act of self-abasement and startled at the din he turned as if an act to fly but only to find himself girt in by armed battalions from which escape seemed hopeless regaining self-control he begged to be received in private interview but baffled of his hopes he turned at last with anger and despair to quit the camp before he had gone far he was recalled brought once more before the throne and bidden to make his suit in the hearing of the legions then at last the chieftain's pride took fire 
and he gave his indignation vent he came he said not as a conquered foeman or a humble vassal but of his free choice to court the majesty of rome he had laid his crown down as a token of respect and looked to have his kingdom given him again as to tiridates in like case from nero's hands the emperor's reply was stern and brief armenia was to be henceforth a roman province and its line of kings was closed but for the rest the ex-monarch and his followers might go safely where they pleased but the armenian prince was too high-spirited to yield without a struggle he flew to arms it seems and was slain soon after at a word from trajan who had not generosity enough to spare the rival whom he had humbled then a panic spread through all the courts of asia from far-off regions little known before came humble offers of submission to the invader who was so masterful and stern and wary intriguers who had kept away before found to their dismay that they could no longer play upon him with ambiguous words the distant chiefs indeed were allowed to hold their own but in all the country between the two great rivers in the track of the advancing army the native princes were deposed and roman governors took their place meantime the postal service had been organized with special care on the great roads that led to rome carriers and relays of horses conveyed the couriers with their state dispatches and the great city traced from week to week the course of the campaign through scenes beyond the range of their experience or fancy listening with a lively wonder to the lengthening tale of bloodless conquests the senate vainly tried to find a list of fitting honours for their prince they voted the solemn services and days of thanksgiving and called him parthicus as they had styled him dacius after the last war but above all other titles of their choice he prided himself the most on that of optimus the best linked as it was in popular fancy with the name of jupiter mightiest of the gods of rome and pointing as he seemed to think more to the graces of his character than to the glories of his arms but the gladness of the general triumph both at home and at the seat of war was rudely broken by the tidings of a great disaster on december thirteenth a d one fifteen while the soldiers were resting from their labours in their winter quarters an earthquake of appalling force shook many of the towns of asia and marked its power at antioch by features of a special horror the fair city was at all times a teeming hive of population merchants and mariners of every land were crowded in its port on the orontes art and luxury and learning drew the votaries of fashion to the great broadway of epiphanes which ran its level course four miles in length with spacious colonnades on either side but at this time especially the emperor's presence brought a more than usual concourse thither soldiers and courtiers litigants and senators sightseers and traders jostled each other in the streets and mingled the languages of east and west the more fatal therefore was the sudden blow which carried sorrow and bereavement to men's homes in every land we need not dwell upon the too familiar features of all the great earthquakes that we hear of here too we read of the mysterious rumblings underground of the heaving in the rocking earth 
of the houses crashing into ruins and burying their inmates in the wreck of the few survivors disinterred at last from what might have been their tomb it adds little to the genuine horrors of the scene to be told in the fanciful language of a later writer of the babe found sucking at the breast of the mother who was cold and dead or of the unknown visitor of unearthly stature who beckoned the emperor from the place of danger to the open ground within the circus where he stayed for days till the earthquake passed away but the thoughts of the soldiers were soon called away from these memories of gloom and desolation in the early spring of a d one sixteen once more the emperor took the field with overwhelming forces it was no easy task indeed to cross the rapid current of the tigris in the face of an enemy drawn up in arms upon the bank and in a country where no timber grew for rafts but through the winter months the highland forests had been felled far up the river shipbuilders had been busy with their work and boats were brought in pieces to the water's edge where they were joined together and floated down the stream to the point chosen for the passage then the flotillas suddenly appeared in swarms before the eyes of the startled natives and manned by overpowering numbers pushed rapidly across the river and dislodged the thin lines that stood to bar the way the parthians struck with panic at their resolute advance were distracted by civil feuds were swept away before them and scarcely fronted them again that year to strike a blow for independence onward the legions tramped in steady progress but their march was a triumphal pageant they neared the ruins of nineveh capital of the assyria of ancient story passed by the battlefield of arbella where the phalanx of alexander routed the multitudinous hosts of persia at babylon they saw the wonders done of old by the builders and engineers of earlier despots Testaphon, with the winter palace of the parthian king fell into their hands with the neighbouring seleucia that still retained the semblance of a shadowy republic though a royal fortress towered above it not content with sweeping all before them in assyria they pushed onward yet to susa the old residence of persian monarchs the daughter of the parthian king became a captive his throne of beaten gold was sent as a trophy to the roman senate which heard the exciting tidings that one after another the great cities of historic fame had passed under the emperor's sway who was following in the steps of alexander and pining for more worlds to conquer indeed old as he was he seemed possessed with the daring of adventurous youth taking ship we read on the euphrates he let the current bear him to its mouth and there upon the shores of ocean saw the merchant boats set sail for india the land of fable and romance and dreamed of enterprises still to come in countries where the roman eagles were unknown but his career of triumph was now closed and the few months of life which still were left to him were clouded with the gloom of failure and disaster while he was roaming as a knight-errant in quest of adventures far away the conquered countries were in arms once more the cities of assyria rose against his garrisons as soon as the spell of his name and presence was removed arabia and edessa flung off their allegiance and the jews of cyrenaica 
egypt and cyprus sprung in blind fury at their roman masters as if to avenge the cruelties practised long ago in palestine by titus this fierce explosion of fanatic zeal from a people girt about by alien races was hopeless of course and sternly repressed with fire and sword to secure his hold on parthia the emperor set up a puppet king and crowned him with great parade at testaphon but could not give him the right to claim or the force to secure the loyalty of an unwilling nation his generals marched with dubious success against the cities that had risen in revolt while he took the field himself against the petty power of the south whose only strength lay in the desert in which it was entrenched he displayed in the campaign all his old hardihood and valour and led more than once his horsemen to the charge but heat and drought and sickness baffled all his efforts and drove him back at last with tarnished fame and ruined health once more he talked of marching to chastise the rebels in chaldea but his strength was failing fast and it was time to leave the scenes where he had won so much of fruitless glory and swept all before him like a passing storm he set his face toward italy upon his homeward way but the long journey was too much for his enfeebled frame and he sank down at salinas in cilicia after nearly twenty years of monarchy and more than sixty of a stirring life so died the strongest and the justest of the imperial rulers whom rome had seen as yet only in the last war can we see the traces of the despot's arrogance and vainglory the dacian campaigns might well seem needful to secure a frontier and chastise an insolent aggressor and to the soldier's eye perhaps there was a danger that after a century of peace the roman empire might settle on its lees and lose its energy and self-respect at home in the routine of civil government he was wary and vigilant and self-restrained rising as ruler and as judge above the suspicion of personal bias and caprice promptly curbing the wrongdoer and checking the officious zeal of his own ministers he was natural and unaffected in the gentle courtesies of common life cared little for the outer forms of rank and was easy of access to the meanest of his people dion cassius who never fails to insist upon the darker side of every character which he describes says that he was lascivious in feeling and given to habits of hard drinking but owns that he can find no record of any wrong or harm done by him in such moods the refined pliny paints for us a different picture of the social life in which he took a part coming fresh from the meetings of the privy council held for some days in the emperor's villa he tells how he spent the time at court the fare it seems was somewhat simple there was no costly show of entertainments but public readings amused the guests and literary discussions followed with pleasant converse far into the night through the great monuments which were called after his name trajan stood to the fancy of the middle ages as a personal symbol of the force and grandeur of old rome but art and poetry brought him forward also as the favourite type of heathen justice a scene in the sculptures of his form represented him as starting for the wars while a woman was bending low with piteous gesture at his feet out of this a legend grew that a poor widow came to him to ask for vengeance on the soldiers who had killed her son 
when i come back i will listen to your suit the emperor said and who will write me if you die was the reply my successor your successor yes but his act will not profit you and it were better surely to do the good yourself and to deserve the recompense that will follow trajan's heart so ran the story was touched by the widow's earnest plea he waited patiently to hear her case and would not leave till she had justice done her such is the form that legend takes in the poetry of dante and it is with this meaning that the scene was pictured to the fancy in many a work of later art such as that which we still may see at venice in one of the capitals of the doge's palace it was a favourite addition to the story that gregory the great was so moved with sympathy when it was told him that he prayed for the soul of the old pagan who having not the law was yet a law unto himself that very night he saw a vision in his sleep and heard that in answer to his prayer the soul of trajan had winged its flight to join the spirits of the blessed End of section five.